Good evening and welcome to the fourth session of the recovery course and tonight's talk is called New Order. When will the insanity go? And we're looking at step two of the 12-step program and step two says this. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And with that, I've put a verse from the New Testament. There's some words that Jesus said, and he says this, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. Can you note there that he hasn't come for the in crowd? If you've ever felt that you are an outsider, the good news is that's who God's come for, people like us who don't quite fit in. Let's quickly recap on why we're here today. We're all faced with a big problem in that we're subject to an addiction or some compulsive behaviour that up until now we've been unable to stop no matter how hard we've tried. A couple of weeks ago, after session two, which was called Out of Control, we were encouraged to make a list of our numerous failed attempts at putting things straight. And so we know that we do not have enough power over our own destiny. Sometimes we kid ourselves that next time will be different, that somehow we will conjure up enough willpower to stop but if we're brutally honest, we're deluding ourselves. That's not to say that we as addicts lack willpower. In fact, quite the reverse. We often display exceptional willpower when it comes to feeding our habit. A person who needs a steady supply of drink or drugs, especially if they're not working, displays considerable willpower and resourcefulness. Think of the extraordinary willpower displayed by anorexics to starve themselves. And it's now widely considered that the British Prime Minister, Sir Winston Churchill, was alcohol dependent. But would we say that Sir Winston Churchill was lacking in willpower? On some 12-step programs, people are introduced to the concept of the sleeping tiger and we're asked to imagine that inside each one of us is a tiger cub which represents our addiction in its early stages and this tiger cub relies on a constant supply of our addiction of choice if it is to remain active. If we cut off the supply the tiger cub goes to sleep but it does not stop growing. We can remain abstinent for years and years without any problems until, in just a moment of madness, we take that one alcoholic drink or one line of coke or we log on to a porn website again or we place just one more bet again and instantly the tiger wakes up. But it's no longer a relatively harmless cub. It's grown into a famished, greedy, ruthless beast and it will attempt to devour us and destroy us. 
I have a friend who was addicted to heroin. <clears throat> he got clean. He spent 18 months in rehab. He had what one would call a spiritual awakening, and he was the model of the recovering addict. And he then started dating girls again, and then in a slack moment, not, he was out with a girl in a club and not wanting to admit that he was an addict, he took some alcohol while he was socialising that evening, and before the night was finished, he was hoovering up large quantities of cocaine. Now, he'd immediately realised that he had made a mistake, and he began taking all the right restorative actions to get back on track, but it was too late. The tiger cub had woken up, and within a month, he was back on heroin. And that was three years ago, and he's still on heroin, and still struggling to get off heroin and trying to get back into rehab. And sadly, some will die from this momentary lapse of concentration, while others will get a second chance if they're fortunate enough to stop this beast in its tracks before it's too late. Brings home the truth, I think, of step one that we've been looking at over the last two weeks. Step one said, just to remind ourselves, we admitted we were powerless over our addiction, and that our lives had become unmanageable. Changing our metaphors for one moment, we have come to realise that our addiction is in some ways like a malevolent octopus that has us in the grip of its many tentacles. And no matter how much we struggle, as soon as we look like we're breaking free from one tentacle, another one wraps around us. And we've brought our considerable willpower up against it, but we're not remotely powerful enough. A power greater than ourselves is controlling us. So, is there a means of escape? Well, fortunately, the answer is yes, and it can be found here in step two which, again, to remind ourselves, says we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. The primary claim of this course is this. We believe that a higher power, God, exists, that we matter to him, and that he has the power to help us to recover and give us a new, empowered life. Big question, I suppose, is what is this God like? In the New Testament, there's a letter uh, that was written to the Hebrews, and the writer of that letter says this, anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. You see, the good news is this higher power, this God, is a God who cares. And he cares about each one of us here. In Psalm 62, which is in the Old Testament, King David, who wrote those psalms, he takes this concept of a caring God further. And he wrote these words, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. 
My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Up until now, we have been denying the hurt and the pain in our lives and trying to, to soothe and medicate those pains with a quick fix. By exposing these hurts and pain, if you like, bringing them out into the light, God's power can begin to truly heal. He exists, we are important to him, and he's constantly looking for us, no matter how lost we may feel or how low we may have fallen. I don't know if you feel that you have any kind of relationship with God, any kind of faith, but the Bible tells us that what God wants is an intimate, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute relationship with us, and that he can do for us what we have been unable to do for ourselves up until now. St. Paul, in one of his letters that he wrote to a church at Ephesus, writes this, God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. You know, we, we may have doubts. I have doubts. But this is perfectly natural, as we're putting our faith in something that can't be seen. However, the first four words of step two are, we came to believe. In other words, it is a process. Faith comes over a period of time as we consider our doubts, use our reasoning, and finally come to a conclusion. If you're anything like me, none of us particularly like change, and a few of us will be positively frightened of the possibility of change. Common characteristic of the addictive person, and I would imagine this is a common characteristic of every single one of us here, including myself, is low self-esteem, even self-loathing and self-hatred. And, so and so some of us also believe we don't actually deserve a better life. But God is constantly encouraging us to be open to change, because it's only through change that we will find that new life that deep down we desperately want and need. St. Paul, writing in that letter to Ephesians uh, again, tells us, since then we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And he goes on, and then take on an entirely new way of life a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Over the last two sessions, we've seen how powerless we are to change ourselves and overcome our addictions. Well, 
Now we get to the good news. In uh, Philippians chapter 4, again, another letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament, he says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then this is an amazing line. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And what St. Paul is sharing with us is that the power to change comes from God and there is no limit to what he can do in us. Again, in the Old Testament, in Psalm 25, David goes one step further and says that it is only with God that we have any hope of change. And he wrote these words, Lead me, teach me, for you are the God who gives me salvation. I have no hope except in you. And finally, you will also notice that step two actually ends with an intriguing word. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. At an Alcoholics Anonymous session that I attended, two people spoke of what they felt was the insanity of their addiction. And one gentleman who was surviving his daily battle with drink said this, I have been sober for over a year now, but there is still the insanity in my head. What I want to know is, when does the insanity go? Does it ever go? John Coates, formerly counselling team leader at the Diana Princess of Wales Treatment Centre in Norfolk, and himself an active uh, addict to alcohol, cocaine, and other drugs for 25 years, writes in his book, No Big Deal, these words. He said, I often used to find myself in psychiatric hospitals of various kinds. Usually, in the general psychiatric wards of these hospitals, there was a handful of addicts and alcoholics who were also undergoing detoxification. Invariably, he says, the little group of addicts and alcoholics would gravitate towards each other and sit separately from the other loonies. We, after all, were not real loonies. We had just overindulged a bit and had got a bit wrecked. And yet now, he says, looking back on it all, I can see very clearly that some of our actions, while we were out there in the world, drinking and using, were a great deal more insane than anything that had been done by the other psychiatric cases. By any objective standard, he says, our own behaviour had been utterly insane. We had destroyed spouses, families, and property. Sometimes, either intentionally or unintentionally, we had taken other people's lives. We had sabotaged jobs, crippled businesses, and flouted the law. Our actions may have been violent and criminal. At the very least, we may have pestered others with long, incoherent, tearful telephone conversations. 
we had wreaked havoc upon other people and upon the world. Is that not insane? I can see now that it was we who were the real loonies. Or as someone once said at a local AA meeting, why are we all here? Because we're not all there. <laughs> Albert Einstein defined insanity as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. A dictionary definition of sanity is this, the condition of being mentally healthy and able to make rational decisions, common sense, reasonableness, and predictability. However, when we're using, our actions are often the very opposite, unreasonable, unpredictable, and notably lacking in common sense. The decisions we make are, time and time again, irrational. And by this definition, we may need to accept that at times we are not sane. It is relying on our own power that has got us where we are today. Maybe we believed we didn't need God's help or power, and the result has been mayhem. Choosing to let God influence my life from now on will provide the power required to bring order out of the chaos that our lives have become and give us back our sanity. Many of us have tried so hard to kick our habit, and quite frankly, we are feeling pretty battle-weary. But let me encourage you, don't give up. In the Psalms, again, David is constantly looking to God to be his strength and encourages us to do the same. He wrote this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And in another Psalm, Psalm 73, he says, My mind and my body may grow weak, but God is my strength. He is all I ever need. St. Paul also went through some very tough times. And in the second letter that he wrote uh, to the Corinthians, he recalls some of them. He said this, It was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to death row, that it was all over for us. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have ever happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea, since he's the God who raises the dead. And he did it, rescued us from certain doom. In the same letter, Paul adds that when we commit our lives to Jesus, we get the promise of a new life. By his power, he will begin to transform us if that is what we want. Therefore, he wrote, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This doesn't mean that our lives will suddenly become easy, far from it. But the Bible does clearly tell us that God will be alongside us at all times, giving us the strength to come through situations that in the past would have derailed us. In 1 Corinthians, Paul again writes, No test 
or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. And in the Old Testament, there's a prophet called Nahum, and he says this, God is good, a hiding place in tough times. He recognizes and welcomes anyone looking for help, no matter how desperate the trouble. I think some of you here really are at your wit's end. So let me just repeat that verse. God is good, a hiding place in tough times. He recognizes and welcomes anyone, anyone looking for help, no matter how desperate the trouble. Steps one and two, which we've been exploring over these last four weeks, are all about the insanity that our addiction has become because we've lived in a state of denial for so long. And as US President Jimmy Carter once said, if we succumb to a dream world, then we'll wake up to a nightmare. Every day, let me encourage you to ask this higher power, God, for his power to deal with anything and everything that comes your way, taking each day as it comes. When we ask, we can have confidence that he will give us the strength to make sane decisions. Jesus said this, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Or in other words, in AA's parlance, take one day at a time. One person who made a decision here at Holy Trinity Brompton to put her trust in Jesus told how her newfound faith delivered her from her life of insanity. And she wrote these words, which I'd like to read to you. She said, in my past, I've been a prostitute. I took drugs, I sold drugs, imported drugs and manipulated them. I was on antidepressants, antipsychotics and mood stabilizers. I couldn't really go to the toilet. I'd taken to urinating in cups to overflowing. And she talked about how all these little paper cups were all around her bed. And she used to uh, urinate into them and fill them up because she couldn't get out of bed. And she said this, metaphorically, I would say I had a black tongue, I had a black heart, and I had black blood that ran through me. There was no oxygen, and I was absolutely and completely dead. But my physiology was working. I wasn't breathing, I was drawing breath. She went on, I have a little chihuahua dog that needed walking, and I scraped myself out of my pit, and I went to Battersea Park, and I sat my pissy little self down by a lake, and I started talking to this man called Chris, and he told me about church, and I came on an alpha course, and I heard these words on that alpha course. Jesus loves you, and if you had been the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for you. 
And she said that when she heard these words, they, and I quote, broke this concrete underground bunker that I was. Nothing could penetrate me, but those words completely and utterly destroyed me. It completely broke down all that anger, all the rage, all the self-disgust, everything. And I prayed, Jesus, this is who I am. This is who I've been, and I now turn away from this. And I asked Jesus to come in. She goes on, slowly, slowly, since that Alpha course, my life has been completely transformed. I say slowly, but it has actually been extremely rapid. It's not been that many months. In fact, she wrote this four months after she'd had this experience. So it's not been that many months, but Christ did come into the most polluted, most toxic, most self-serving person, and he has filled me with love, and he has forgiven me. All the anger that I have felt towards people who have abused me, and the parents who have never cared for me, now I just feel love and compassion for. I no longer draw breath. I have a heart that beats and pumps, and I, now and I now have really red blood. When I go to the park, I smell the weather. When I prepare a salad, the colors are so living. I can smell the rain hours before it rains. I feel so cleansed. I am truly, truly restored. I really do want to tell you what Jesus has done for me and why I just love this man. Now I am so forgiven that the life I've led is a memory of a memory. I know that it's mine, but I can't feel that crap anymore. I feel so cleansed. If you, in the same way, are able to put what little faith you have in this God, your life can be radically changed too. Tea, coffee, small groups. Thank you.